I need that little ding, you know, sound at the beginning. That's not there. I just feel like we haven't started yeah, it doesn't yet. Make sense. <laughs> ATP podcast. This episode, are we at four zero? Are we at forty? I'm excited. All right, around the post podcast. I want to say this is episode no. This is episode 39. I got ahead of myself. All right. But um, this is a great episode, man. This is the episode after. This is the first time we've spoken since the end of the Australian Open. We made some predictions. We had some conversations. And um, there's a lot to talk about here, man. Uh, What do you got for me? First off, should women be umpiring men's matches? Hmm? A former player calls out another. Kennan wins the Australian Open. Did Federer and Nadal go over the line by attacking a female umpire? Uh-oh. Um, did Novak deserve to get fined? And should the shot clock be removed? All right, all right. But first, we're going to start with Sophia Kennan. Sophia Kennan won the Australian Open. <clears throat> she was about 22, 23 in the world. And she made her top 10 debut at number seven in the world. It's a big jump. It's a big jump. What are your thoughts? Um, First and foremost, this win uh, really just caters to that how volatile, how wide open the women's draw is right now in tennis. Um, We're seeing heavyweights losing early. Low ranking players rise up. You know, it's just very randomized right now. And um. What does that mean to you? How, how does that make you feel as far as sports goes? I mean, there's no dominance. I don't. I, we've had this discussion. Mm. I don't know how to feel about it because it's uh, there's no dominance and there's always random people winning. Mm. Uh, I think that to me, if you have a Goliath uh, being at the top of the game and and uh, somebody smaller coming up and destroying the Goliath, mm. a David. That makes it more interesting to me. Yeah. But with no dominance, I don't know how to feel about that. What are your thoughts? Um, this is kind of a, like a science to what makes a movie good. And um, let's uh, let's kind of parallel that with sports where in a movie, movies are only as dramatic as how high the stakes can get. You know, where we love movies where there's a lot on the line. And then something conclusive happens afterwards. So, for example, the most watched boxing matches ever are going to be like, you know, Mayweather boxing for 50-0 and 0, or Federer, uh, you know, in a grandstand final after he's won three, or, you know, things like that. Um, when there's not someone consistently dominating, there's nothing at stake as far as reputations or rankings go. Uh, when you see a draw wide open, the stakes are too low for me to enjoy it as much. So as much as I think that, you know, it's awesome that there's a lot of even play and athleticism happening in the sport, it's going to take away from ratings. It's going to take away from fandom. We're not going to have any icons. We're not going to have any heroes. You can't have a whole bunch of Robins and no Batmans, you know? Yeah. Uh, There has to be someone who is bulletproof, at least for an extended period of time. So I think that someone needs to rise up in women's tennis this year. This is the year someone needs to take over. Now, let's let's look at it the other way. A lot of people are saying, well, 
dominance by the same people is also can be boring. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I disagree. Um, I think that just, you know, history shows the most highly viewed things are higher stakes events. You know, it's just the bottom line. You know, we want to take a side, whether it be we hate this guy, we want him to lose or we love this guy. We want him to win. Um, We loved the underdog match where it was, even though I think Djokovic gets the least ratings of the big three. When we saw Stan Wawrinka come off of beating Nadal and play against Djokovic, or I think it was the other way around. But uh, when we see that match, we recognize an underdog who's dangerous and a heavyweight who's supposed to win. And what makes that match so interesting is that it could go either way. Uh, That moment isn't really happening in women's tennis enough, or it's happening too early in the tournament. We're seeing that that match is happening in the third round and stuff like that. That's a problem. Ash Barty did make it to the semis, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw Halep and Barty go pretty deep. Bianca Andreescu did not show up because of the knee, Mm -hmm. but you know that she can make noise. Yeah. So those are the consistent ones that won't lose in the first couple rounds. Yeah. So can they rise to the occasion and become dominant? That's going to be the question. I think they can. I think they can. I think they need a little more time. And um, I will say this, you know, them getting as far as they did in this tournament. That's significant. You know, right. that's something I respect. I just want them to continue to rise and do that all year. Yeah, they're backing it up. Mm-hmm. Osaka dropped from three to four to number 10 in the world. Wow. Is that so? My question to you is we know that she doesn't really like the pressure. Yeah. She's always saying, oh, I feel tight. Mm. With her dropping to number 10, will that sort of calm her down and make her rise? I think that it won't hurt her game. I'll say that for sure. I don't know how much it's going to help because I feel like she was just getting acclimated to, you know, that stardom, that ranking, that reputation she was carrying. But I think that, uh, you know, on the flip side, her losing to Coco Goff is going to be a major wake up call. It's going to be a a mentality switch of I need to go into every match prepared to play like there's a target on my back because that's how I'm seen now. I don't think she really realized People are training to play against her before they see her in their draw. Right. You know, uh, players are going, I need to be prepared to beat a Naomi Osaka in any tournament at any time. People train against lefties for Nadal. People train against guys who don't miss serve returns like Djokovic. Whether they're in the draw or not against them, Naomi Osaka has put herself in that position. So she needs to start assuming everyone is out for her neck when she's in a tournament. I think that it'll help her. Yeah. Uh, again, she really doesn't like the pressure. So yeah. this time she'll be at the top 10. Uh, uh, she'll drop to number 10. So she has to rise up. She's going to get a tough draw, though. Yeah. But um, I think this is the way she works better. Yeah. Moving on. Aga Radwanska, she's a former number two player in the world. She mm. retired about, what, two years ago. Mm. Uh, her claim to fame was a Wimbledon final. Yeah. Normally, when people are not broadcasters and they're just retirees that don't have nothing to do with tennis. Yeah. They don't talk. Mm-hmm. Well, she picked on Madison Keys. She said that Madison Keys is a very boring player and has nothing to offer to tennis. Madison Keys is a claim to flame, came to uh, uh, fame, sorry, is making it to the U.S. Open, losing to Sloan Stevens. Do you think that Madison Keys is a boring player to watch? No. Uh, Madison Keys, has, a, if I remember correctly, has a pretty big forehand, right? 
forehand and serve. Yeah, that no way, boring. I I think that that I hate to say it, but calling Madison Keys a boring player to watch is almost calling women's tennis boring because she's one of the bigger hitters on the ground on the tour. Um, she goes for shots. She hits aces here and there. She has a decent game. Um, that's weird to me. She went. She went as far as to say that Madison Keys is the John Isner of the women's tour. That she has no variety. She's only a servant forehand. First and foremost, John Isner is awesome to watch play tennis. So that's not even following her own statement. I like watching John Isner play personally. Um, John Isner's game is incomplete. Um, we can make that call. But that's not the same as being boring to watch. Saying someone does have a hole in their game means nothing if they have a big enough weapon to cover the hole. That means that they've gotten this far by having a big enough weapon to cover up the fact they don't carry a shield. Um, yeah, it sounds sounds bitter. It sounds like she has something against her. Madison Keys is a she has a full game. She yeah. doesn't slice a lot, yeah. but she returns very well. Mm. Um, she hits with enough top. Yeah. She hits flat. Um, Radwanska to me was very boring to watch. Yeah, uh, I remember that. She sliced to death and Barty and uh, Andrescu slice, but there's a purpose to it. And it's a nice slice. Right. With yeah. her, it was more a defensive slice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, neutral. Very right? neutral. It's, what are you doing? So to me, her calling out Madison Keys was really, really weird. Yeah, there's irony there. There's some pettiness there. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an ulterior thought going behind that. Right. Yeah. Moving on. This is kind of a funny story. Bizarre controversy in mixed doubles. Hmm. This is include uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands and Jamie Murray. So there was a ball that hit the line. Mm-hmm. They challenged. So some uh, Murray put his hand up, which means he's challenging uh, the call. Yeah. But Bethany Maddox-Sands hit the ball for a winner. Mm. So the um, chair umpire says, well, they won the point. Mm. Uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands and Jamie Murray. Mm. Uh, Stritskova and uh, her partner Stritskova made it to the doubles finals. Mm. Women said, that's hindrance. Them challenging the call is hindrance. Why are you giving them the point? Yeah. The chair umpire had to call the referee. Mm. to fix this stritskova basically got in jamie murray's face and called him a joke Mm -hmm. for doing that yeah what are your thoughts do you think that that is hindrance so what you're saying is that jamie and his partner called up for a you know a a line call or whatever uh, right but at the same time his partner played the ball and they won the point right she hit a clean winner yeah um I think that the umpire has to basically restart the point at least. At least a clean restart on the point. That is a hindrance. That's a distraction. His intention was to stop the point. Um, no matter how you look at it, that's how it should have gone. Now, we do know there's a lot of kinky stuff that happened in this Australian Open with the chair umpires. Yeah. So I'm actually not surprised that that happened. Mm-hmm. But yes, you are right. They should have played out the point. And Stritskova calling Jamie Murray a joke. To me, that was quite funny when it was Bethany Maddox-Sands that hit the ball for the yeah, winner. Yeah, I was going to say, Murray. he's an innocent bystander here. You know, <laughs> he just wants to make a call. It's not up to him if it actually happens or not. He's just trying to make the call. Right. Yeah. 
and uh, Bethany Maddox Sands and Jamie Murray made it to the finals, mm. but they ended up losing. Yeah. So poor guy. <clears throat> exactly. Moving on. Should women umpire men's matches? Now there was a lot of controversy because Nadal went over the shot clock and the chair umpire called bam they gave him a violation right away mm -hmm. he said to the chair umpire who's a female you really must not know about tennis you really must not play tennis you're you're a joke right now how, how can you call a time violation after a 26 point rally back to back points yeah then Federer was also um with a chair umpire that's a female mm. this is this is funny the side umpire said that he she heard Federer cuss in German. Mm -hmm. Then the chair umpire said, I heard it too. But the chair umpire, not the chair umpire, sorry, the umpire from the line went up to the chair umpire and said, Hey, he cussed. Federer stared a hole in that chair into that uh, line judge and said, mm -hmm. What did I say? Do you speak German? Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me right now? Then he went up to the chair umpire and said, if you heard it, why didn't you call me for it? Why did you have her come to you and have you tell her? Yeah. I mean, he really got in her face. Yeah. So the question is, was that fair of Fetter to basically stare right at the line judge and call her out? Uh, my first question is going to be this. Was Fetter uh, persecuted for his actions? He got a penalty, yes. Okay, so uh, with that being said, I think that um, line judges' purpose and role is to call lines, right? Yes. Um, the umpire's job is to handle penalizing for everything else outside of lines, and also they have the honor of, you know, if they want to override a line call, they can. Um, it sounds to me like Federer's issue here is that it sounds like someone stepped out of their role to get him persecuted for something that they may not have been 1,000% sure of. Um, and from that perspective, I understand where he's coming from. But at the end of the day, he most likely did say it. And if he got, you know, consequentially attacked for it, it kind of is what it is, you know. Uh, but I do understand where he's coming from, which is, you know, you're a line judge. Sit down. Call my lines. That's it. Unless I attack you and cuss at you in German, sit down. And let the umpire do the umpire's job. That simple. You get paid to call lines. She gets paid for everything else. That's it. It shouldn't have gone beyond that. Now, Nadal calling the woman not knowing how to play tennis. You're making yourself relevant in this match. Mm. Then Nadal asked for the tournament director to come onto the court. Mm. So he can talk to him and overrule her call. What do you think about that? That is privilege at its finest that is big three privilege happening right there uh you're not seeing anyone outside the big three say i want the tournament director to come out here just so i can override a call for the umpire on the court that doesn't happen so i think nadal needs to relax a little bit i agree with him to the point of you got to be a little more lax uh and make that call when you know guys are having an absolute war out there let them play out the war and let them breathe a little bit because otherwise we're going to see a, a lowering in performance. Both players hit the same amount of balls, you know, they're drained. So 
if he really does have a true issue with um, that rule, him and Federer and Novak and whoever else has, you know, enough clout in tennis need to get together and go, we collectively dislike this rule. Let's protest it. Otherwise, you can't when it doesn't suit you protest the rule on court with an umpire. Doesn't work that way. You know, if you hate the 20 second shot clock rule, which we know Nadal doesn't follow it, you need to start protesting it and expressing that bottom line, because no matter whether it be after a 50 ball rally or a five ball rally, the rule is the rule technically. Uh, So I can't side with Nadal on that one. Now, it was made a big deal because these two legends of the game went at women umpires. Yeah. Any thoughts? I don't think that these were gender-specific situations. Um, You could probably make a case in the Nadal one that he was being gender-specific, but I don't think either one truly was. I think that they both disliked the umpire they had. I do think they both have had good experiences with a female umpire in the past. And I will say this. That female umpire from the final was not good. We'll get to that in a moment, I'm sure. Now, to me... Whether or not you're a male or female, it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. as long as you can do your job. Right. Now, they diffused from the problem. They didn't yeah. make the problem any bigger than what it was. Exactly. Joke. I mean, joke. I'm sorry. Nadal and Federer were irate. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, you never hear Federer really get into it, but he was really livid at the fact that, oh, you heard me. Why didn't you do it? Yeah. But she really didn't answer back. She really stayed calm. Yeah. And uh, that's their job. So they're, they're supposed to enforce the rules mm-hmm. and really not get in their face. Yeah, it's not supposed to be personal. There shouldn't be conversations. I don't think that either situation, the umpire got out of character, out of line. Um, I will admit, you know, the line judge, oh, I'm going to run up to the umpire. Right. Stay in your spot. You know, unless you were addressed or attacked or anything like that by Federer. Call your lines and let the umpire hear or not hear anything else. Because Federer cussing out of frustration in German is not him hindering his opponent on the other side of the court. And he's not attacking you as a line judge. So shut your mouth and call your lines. I'm sorry, but that's just what it needs to be. Bottom line. Now, this has happened before at the U.S. Open. Stefano Sissipas was accused of being coached by his dad because they were speaking in Greek. So... Unless they really speak the language, I how are you going to know if they're cussing or not? Yeah. You know, so they need to give a little bit of leeway on that. Mm-hmm. Now, the shot clock was the main reason why there was so many controversy at this Australian Open. Yeah. More than ever. Uh, Kyrgios got fined. Sim, uh, Simon got fined. Uh, Nadal, Djokovic, they all got fined because of the shot clock. Mm. Now, the shot clock was supposed to be there to pick up the pace of play. Yeah. But everybody's going overboard anyway. Let me provide a little insight for specific listeners here. So what a shot clock is, is in between points, the player who's serving has 26 seconds, right? Yeah, 25. 25 seconds to get the ball, get to the line, toss it up and hit their serve and start the next point. That is the shot clock. Now, here's my issue overall with the tour. They're pressing the... they're. They're shortening the amount of time you have to breathe in between rallies and hit that ball, but slowing down the surfaces to make the rallies longer on the tour, which means they're increasing fatigue on the players and lowering the amount of time they have to breathe in between points. Uh, 
I think that's contradictory, and I think they need to either scrap the shot clock or speed up the courts, one or the other. I agree. If they sped up the courts, I'd be perfectly okay with the shot clock. That wouldn't bother me at all. Like, if Wimbledon has a shot clock, I doubt we'd see a lot of violations. Now, Nadal, when he got called, there he was back-to-back 26-stroke rallies. Mm-hmm. And then he was out of breath. You can see him yeah, just absolutely. out of breath. As he and should then be. that's when the, the umpire called him for it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Should it be removed? Um, speed up the courts or take away the clock. That's my call. Now, here's the thing. After the first serve, there is no shot clock for the second serve. Mm-hmm. If you've noticed, they take their time even in between the first and second serve. Yeah. They miss the first serve. They take their time. Mm-hmm. So shouldn't there be a if – if you're going to have a shot clock, shouldn't you have a shot clock on the second serve as well? Technically speaking, yes, you should. So it's one of two things. It's either you take off the whole clock in general or, as you stated, speed up the, uh, the court mm-hmm. and add a shot clock – and the second serve yeah. because they're they're getting away with stuff on the second serve as well. Yeah. Those are my thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to see um I'd like to see faster tennis. So, I want faster courts. That'd be my ultimate vote. Going to the final, Djokovic as well got called for time violation after the first and second serve. On the second serve, when he got the time violation, he lost it. Mm-hmm. He went as far as to touch the umpire and you're not supposed to do that mm-hmm. although he touched him in the foot you're not supposed to touch a anybody period mm-hmm. Djokovic did not get fined for his actions any thoughts yeah in that situation he probably should have got fined because there are a few players on the tour that probably would have in that situation um and I've seen Serena do a little bit less and get a lot more repercussions for it so yeah, I think that uh, there should have been some repercussions for that, for sure. And Kyrgios as well. Yeah, oh, Kyrgios has done more. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Uh, these are players that uh, have faced a lot bigger repercussions for their actions. I will say Kyrgios has done a lot worse than what Djokovic typically does. But uh, Serena typically is about the same level as Novak on that court as far as temperament goes. And she has faced a lot worse consequences after, so... Now what everybody is talking about is Novak Djokovic and how much time he took. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know that he called the doctor multiple times. Yeah. In his press conference, he said that he wasn't injured. Mm-hmm. He said that he was having dehydration problems. Mm-hmm. Now, we've spoken about that because we said, okay, um, when people get cramps, mm-hmm. isn't that conditioning? Yeah. When you're dehydrated, isn't that conditioning? Yeah. So my question to you is a lot of people, sorry, a lot of people are calling him out yeah. for saying you're, you're not conditioned enough. Yeah. Why did you call the doctor? You're making time. You're killing time to try to get your um, energy back. Yeah. So the question to you is, did he play fair or was it a foul to call the doctor and ice Dominic team? Okay. In terms of fairness, technically he stayed within all rules of tennis Um, he did not break any rules, which means that what he did was in complete fairness. Every minute of rest he got was a minute of rest Dominic team got. Is what he did ethical? No. Um, Sounds to me like he pulled uh, what we would, uh, we'd condemn, uh, what is her name? Uh, Blondie. Azarenka. Azarenka. Azarenka is a, 
huge culprit of this, you right. know, and it's stopping the momentum of your opponent in order to shift the weight of the match. And it seems like that was Djokovic's intentions. Uh, was he fatigued? I'm sure he was. Uh, did he feel flat? Probably. Um, and he was trying anything within his power to close out this Grand Slam, which he was able to accomplish. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate because I'm, I'm assuming you think he was in the wrong. I honestly, to me, it was a turnoff the way the whole thing was set up. Mm. And we've condemned everybody else for saying, oh, they have a cramp. And yeah. play through it. Yeah. Play through it. Now, he, he gets uh, dehydrated. It's the same thing. You have to play through it. Yeah. You know? Um, I coach tennis. I had a kid make it to the fourth round of CIF. Mm-hmm. That's massive. Yeah. He got he dehydrated. Michael mm-hmm. Lim. Yeah. He got dehydrated. Then he couldn't play anymore. Mm. There was no doctor to uh, touch him or say, hey. Right. You know, he had to quit. Mm. That's it. As a matter of fact, uh, Kaylor, who's one of my assistants, he said, well, my best thing ever on Michael Lim was rubbing him down and trying to get him to get the cramps out. <laughs> that yeah. was his claim to fame. Yeah. But yeah, so it's it, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was a complete turnoff, honestly. Yeah. And a lot of people called him out. They're saying, oh, same old Djokovic. Ooh, he can't breathe right now. He's mm-hmm. making time. So yeah. th- those are my thoughts on that. Um, so to counter your claim there, um, I would say since he's on the professional tour and he is allotted these resources, they're within the rule book. He is allowed to find solutions, whether it be him changing his game on the court or allotting himself time for his dehydration. If so, for example, if you had a medical person or a hydration specialist on court available for you to call in for a five minute break, I'm sure you would have used it for your player. Sure. So in Djokovic's defense, I'm not surprised or mad at him for doing it as well. Um, I do think that it's a bit ugly that he was able to get free time because he was lesser prepared. That's my problem. That is an issue, but that's just the way the game goes, you know? And I hate to say it, but if you want to knock off um, the big three, you have to play twice as good as them. You can't just play better than them. You have to play twice as well as they do to get the win because otherwise you will not get over the hill. That's just what it is. When Stan Wawrinka won the Australian Open, he didn't just play a little better than the big three. He played great tennis. He played tennis we didn't think was possible to win those slams. So I need that to come from team. Team played like a human being. He played great tennis. We respect him for what he did. No one thinks he flopped under pressure. But he ran out of gas. His level of play slowly declined like most human beings do. And he went against a guy who was resourceful and found a way to find a second win in that fifth set. That's my ultimate verdict. Um, I think that he will get his slam eventually while the big three are active. But he learned. He learned a valuable lesson, which is that uh, these guys will pull out every stop and resource possible to close out a slam final. And that's why they have 17 20, 19, and 20. 19, you know, that's why they have that many slams. They'll do whatever it takes. I mean, the exception might be Federer, who kind of either plays it out or doesn't. Right. But, you know, as far as Nadal and Novak go, they will get a medical timeout. They will use the restroom. You know, we've seen both of them do it, whether they win or lose that match. So Now, here was my thing. He called the doctor. Yeah. They got him on the court. Then he, then he went off the court with the doctor again. 
Yeah. That to me was the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now Djokovic played out of his mind in the first set and Dominic team found a way to break back mm-hmm. while Djokovic was on fire. He was on complete fire. He wasn't missing a shot. Yeah. So he played tough. And also Dominic team never called for a doctor. Yeah. Djokovic played less time than Dominic team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played four hours against Nadal, four and a half hours against Varev, mm. and that match against Djokovic. So let me ask you this. Dominic team at the beginning of the fifth set, should he have called a medical timeout? Would, could, would the match be different if he called a medical timeout? It came down to a couple points. It came down to mistakes. Yeah. So probably not. Mm. The knock, the knock on Djokovic is going to be why did you stall? Yeah. That's the that's the knock on Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Now this is this is another thing. Federer called a doctor for his growing pool against Tennis Sangren. Mm. A lot of people are saying, "Oh, Djokovic haters. Federer called a doctor. Why don't you guys bash Federer?" Mm. Is that orange and apples? Can you compare the two? No, you can't because Federer was physically showing the injury on court. Uh, we did see that when he moved to his right, he was lesser. We know his game. We know how well he can move. He was moving worse than he typically moved in that tournament when he went to the right towards the forehand. So I think that Federer should have called one maybe sooner. Uh, versus with Djokovic, it seemed like he was just getting outplayed. We didn't really see a lesser Djokovic. We just saw airs. So, no, you can't compare the two. One seems justified in my eyes. Bottom line to me, Dominic team got under Nadal, and that's why he went off at the umpire, and he got under Djokovic, and mm. that's why he had to do what he had to do. Yeah, Dominic team is right there. He's right there. <clears throat> He's right there. He's going to win one eventually. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw a post of him saying, I want to win one when the big three are around. If it's exactly. not there, it doesn't count. He's right, and I'm glad he has that mentality. And uh, I don't think he's scared of the big three. I don't think so either. Now, Federer, he did have that problem against Djokovic, and he continued. He Mm. played Djokovic. You can tell he was in pain, Mm. and he went on and played anyway. What do you think of the mentality in the difference of Djokovic and Federer? Federer could have quit. We know for a fact. We know for a fact in terms of injuries, ailments, and disabilities on the court, Federer is the most resilient of the big three. He doesn't quit matches. He doesn't walk off court. He will play into the loss or the win. Nadal is fair. Nadal will call in help when he needs it. He's very transparent. And Djokovic is probably on the bottom of that list with, you know, he has a very big reputation prior to 2011 of, breathing issues, struggling with this, struggling with that, you know, quitting matches, you know. He has a huge reputation for it, and I think that, you know, ultimately he still has that side in him, even though we see it a lot less. So I really respect Federer in that aspect. I really do. And I think that that's part of the reason why we still want to champion Federer, even though he loses a lot more matches than the other two. Right. That was my only problem with Djokovic. If he hadn't have done that, I would say, okay, cool, he won. Yeah, good, that good stuff. <laughs> Last piece of news: big movers. Tennis Sangren was outside the top hundred mm-hmm. with his result. He made it to fifty-five in the world. Nick Kyrgios, who was twenty-six, twenty-seven, made it to nineteen or twenty. Mm. Are you shocked by those um, moves? 
No, not at all. Tennis Sangren, I wouldn't be surprised if he got within the top 40 with his performance, but that just goes to show you how little he accomplished last year. And uh, Kyrgyz should be top six. So I think it's honestly still inaccurate where he's ranked. And um, I have a few questions for you. Um, After this tournament, we've seen a lot of statements made, a lot of major statements preceding 2020. Uh, my first, I'm going to ask you the lesser ones first. What do you expect of Osaka after her loss to Coco Goff this year? She's going to have to step it up. What, what is she going to step it up is what I'm asking you. She did it in China. Mm-hmm. When she was in the Asian swing, she did it. Yeah. So we know that she's capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, my question, my, my response would be, I know she can do it. And I know that her being um, at the, in the, number 10 instead of one is actually going to help her so in my opinion she will go up again the question is going to be is when she's at the top can she handle it okay next question we watched coco goff beat a top five player in the world then we saw coco goff proceed to lose in three sets to the slam champion what happens to coco goff the rest of this year after we saw her beat a top five player and then lose to the champion. I think she's going to do well. Mm. Um, Give, most me a likely, hot take. Give me a hot take. What's most she likely winning? she will play in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can go on the limb and probably say she might win the masters 1000. We know that she did win a 500 in Austria. Mm-hmm. Now she's capable of doing it. I don't know which one though. Mm. That's the thing. I don't know if she's good on clay, mm. on grass. So to me, it's probably going to be on hardcourt where she's going to make noise in a Masters 1000. Okay. I like that call there. Okay. Next question. After watching um, the men's draw, we saw a few significant things here. Sisipa, the man we thought would do damage in the Australian, disappeared quite early. Um, was this a fluke? And will we see him really successful in 2020? He won the ATP finals. Yeah. So we know that he can compete as well. Yeah. Now, Zverev won as well. Here's the catch here. Before I want to, I want to fight your print, your plan already. Okay. Um, how many tournaments are a high speed indoor fast hard court in the whole tour? How many events are like the World Tour Finals? Not a lot. So not even that, on grass. Yeah. So with that being said. What can we really take from that, and what do you think about his future with that fact in regard? He made it deep into the French Open. He did. Uh, losing to Stan in five. He made mm-hmm. it to the quarters, I believe, last mm-hmm. year. Uh, he beat Federer last year as well and in Australia. Yeah. He can compete. Yeah. For sure. He has all the tools. So I know he can compete, and if his head is on straight – he can make a deep run in any tournament, except for me, grass still. I don't know about his grass court game. Okay. Uh, give me a hot take. Is he winning something this year? Uh, to me right now, I don't see him doing much right now. Okay. Okay. Um, now, this is a personal question for me. This is something I care about. I don't know if our listeners care. We have two young studs in Canada, Dennis Chapo and Felix. What happened to them in the Australian, and what's going to happen to them this year? 
last year they were making noise mm-hmm. and davis cup they made it to the davis cup final yeah they beat really top players and then in atp cup they went down yeah in in australia they didn't do nothing yeah now um felix is playing in a 250 event mm-hmm. so he's trying to get his uh confidence back yeah he won today mm-hmm. so um i think that once they get their confidence back they'll do better Okay, will that happen this year? I think so. Okay. Yeah, Felix has enough tools to do it, and Chapo's flashy enough. Yeah. Now, um, speaking of flashy, one of my favorite players, Roger Federer, looked pretty good in the Australian, I must say, but also he was on the ropes almost the entire tournament. Um, What is the future of Roger Federer? Do we see another slam possible out of Roger? Do we see Roger getting a Masters 1000 in his future? Is Roger basically a grass court and indoor player from now on? What do you think? The big thing is after he got injured, everybody was saying, he's done. He's going to retire. Um, this year's for sure his last year. Now, I think he can compete in any surface, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. He even competed on clay. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think I'm going to stick to what you said. He his Where he's going to make his most damage is on grass and on a fast court, Yeah. hard court. Mm-hmm. If Wimbledon was fast as it was in the 90s, you can guarantee him a victory right now. Yeah. Even against Djokovic. Mm-hmm. But since it's not, it's going to be a little bit different. But I still think that he can win Wimbledon. Okay. That's what I like to hear. It's, it's my guy right there. Okay. Uh, moving forward. Nadal looks, has looked amazing, in my opinion, the last six months. Um, has he won every tournament he's in? No. But... You know, from today, going back all the way to September, are Nadal's absolute worst tournaments. You know, indoor fast courts, the Australian, the Asian swings, not his best, the World Tour Finals. Um, He looked great in all of those. How many more French Opens do we see coming out of a guy playing the way Nadal is playing? While Dominic Team is looking like Dominic Team as well. He uh, the the toughest ask in sports is to beat Nadal on clay at the French Open. Mm. He's always going to be the favorite, even more than Djokovic at the Australian. Yeah, guaranteed. I think that he can win more because the ball jumps high, mm-hmm. and that's his big um, weapon on clay. Yeah, if it didn't, he wouldn't win. Mm-hmm. But since it does, he still can win almost every time he enters the French Open. Okay. So with him at 19 slams, does he tie Federer this year? I believe so, yes. Okay. So we'll see uh, 2020. 2020. In 2020. Yep. Awesome. All right. And uh, last one. Does Dominic Team win a slam this year? Oh, man, that's a tough one. The French Open, he's been there twice in a row now. I don't see him making any noise at Wimbledon. He hasn't made noise at all at Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. At the U.S. Open in 2018, he lost to Nadal in the quarterfinals. He took him to five. As a matter of fact, he beat him 6-0 in the first set. Mm -hmm. So he can make noise on hard court from now on. Mm -hmm. He's won Indian Wells. Yeah, I think that I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he can win a slam. And if it's going to be one, it's going to be the U.S. Open. 
I like it. I like it. You heard it here, ATP Podcast. Those are your 2020 predictions from Mark Figueroa, our expert analyst. And um, we're going we're gonna to go to Indian Wells. I actually want to talk to you about that. We'll talk about that more next week. But, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week where we'll, uh, we'll pick up with some hotter topics. Right. And uh, we'll talk about maybe uh, our trip to Indian Wells coming up. Sounds good. <laughs>